Thanks so much, Peggy. Um, just before we get into uh, our topic this morning, I just thought it was worth a moment of uh, just speaking about Israel Folau, having had the decision come down on Friday. Um, I just think it's one of those moments that's you know, it's not everything, but it does sort of mark a, a shift and a, and a threshold moment, I think, in some ways in, uh, in our society. Um, someone's lost their job because they stated Christian things. So just a few thoughts. Um, first thought, people were offended by what Israel posted. Um, and if we don't understand why, we're probably not listening sympathetically enough. It's, it's worth reflecting on why people are offended by that post. Um, as Christians, often we think, well, it's just a whole lot of sins, isn't it? But I think part of the offence is there's been a fundamental shift in how we understand identity as a community, as a society, and uh, you can trace it right back to Freud, but these days sexuality is part of who I am, and so people are offended because they hear that list and they think, but hold on, homosexuality is something fundamental to who you are, like being, um, you know, of African-American descent. It, It is... And so if you're saying that someone's excluded from heaven for that reason, or sent to hell for that reason, surely that's... So it's, it's worth listening to because then that helps us to see how hard it will be to explain the gospel. We actually appreciate some of the challenges that people are going through when they hear us talk about Christianity. So um, if we're going to speak the truth in love, we actually need to appreciate the hurdles that people are going to face. So people were offended. On the other hand... I want to say what Israel posted wasn't wrong. Um, he, he, he just quoted part of the Bible. It's long-standing conviction of Christians, uh, long-standing conviction of um, uh, uh, our society until recently. Um, there's not any evidence in the context of the conversation that he was actually promoting hate speech uh, and expressing hate, um, at least in his understanding. And so looking at the penalty, that it, the penalty suggests something heinous that he's done. Um, you compare it with six years of suspension for somebody who's done domestic violence, uh, two years suspension for a pub brawl. Yeah, um, I think it's important for us to say, actually, I don't think it was that serious. It's, it's important to be able to look at how to communicate the gospel, but there's something interesting there. I think the biggest... Uh, thing to reflect on is how does that impact us? I think it does set a precedent. Um, there's going to be an increasing gap. You're already probably feeling it between the norms of our society and what it means to be Christian and what we, how we understand the world as Christians. I think if I want to recommend any place to go to as you think about this, 1 Peter is a great place to think about. So if you want to write down a few verses to go and check out later, 1 Peter 2 verse 11 and 12 just reminds us to live as aliens and strangers and to do good. So the way to recognise that we're not at home here, we're actually following a different Lord and sometimes we'll just be out of place. But the response is to do good. It's to love our neighbour and to just continue to serve Jesus in the midst of that. Um, Go to chapter 3, verse 13. It reminds us not to be afraid. Don't fear the things that they fear. Um, Don't be afraid. Um, Verse 15 of chapter 3 says, Know what you believe. Um, set apart in your heart, set apart Jesus as Lord and, uh, and then also be ready to give an answer graciously and generously. Um, so always be ready to give an answer and do so, that, so with gentleness and respect.
Um, so there's some thoughts if you want to uh, talk more afterwards. Um, I'm more than keen to do so. Anyway, we want to think about a different topic this morning, uh, though not unrelated, uh, because the question I want to start with is, are Christians good? Are Christians moral people? I mean, if you've lived more than 40 years in Australian society, uh, there is this disorientating sort of feeling that the people who used to be thought of as good and moral in our society are suddenly almost viewed as evil. Um, back in, you know, not so long ago, Christians were considered prudes, they were considered killjoys, they were considered wowsers because they were too moral. That was the complaint. I mean, the, the word wowser, they debate about exactly what the word means and where it came from, but one claim is that, it's, that was from back then was that it stood for we only want social evils remedied. That's a wowser. Um, because wowsers were against evil. The, the, the temper, Women's Temperance League was the first uh, group that was labelled as wowsers, and they were calling for controls on the distribution of alcohol because women were being abused by their husbands who were dr- coming home drunk. And that was the history, and that was where the, the term wowser sort of picked up. Then that term was oppo- applied to people who opposed free sex, who opposed unfaithfulness in marriage. They were wowsers. Because you were against immorality. That was sort of the theme. Uh, Christians were wowsers because they had higher moral standards. They weren't weren't in for fun. They were campaigning for morals. But these days, Christians are often treated as immoral. Given the stories we hear, the assumption is priests abuse children and Christians hate gays. Uh, Even people who ignore the Bible on these issues but want to call themselves Christian, they find themselves starting behind the eight ball. So even though they don't submit to the Bible like I would, um, just to wear the term Christian uh, is to start with the back foot. And so you've got Christopher Hitchens um, writing a book recently, God is not good for you. How religion poisons everything. He's just one of many new atheists with this voice saying that, that religion is harmful. Christians are dangerous. I actually want to suggest that the problem goes even deeper than that. I think Christians doubt that other Christians are good people, that they themselves are good people. I meet people who don't go to church anymore, even though they call themselves Christian, because people at church disappointed them. They found themselves moving between churches because people have let them down. I had this experience at Bible college. The lecturer asked the class... Are Christians any better than the community around them? And the entire class really struggled to say anything but no. We have this gut feel that Christians, in the end, aren't particularly good people. Why is that? Well, the basic truth we're looking today that I think helps us is sin. We're going to look at how it affects everyone, how it affects Christians... Um, So we'll think about it, get our thinking straight, we'll look at how it makes us feel and we'll look at how we should live. How about I pray? Heavenly Father, please help us now as we think about sin, um, that it might be helpful, that it might be encouraging and that it might help us to to better understand ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so how should we think about sin? Three things I find helpful to say. Sin is breaking God's law. 
Sin is rebelling against God and sin is fundamentally a relationship problem. So let's start that out. First of all, sin is breaking God's law. It's, it's missing the target. It's not meeting God's standard. So when God made the world, he told Adam and Eve, don't eat the fruit from this tree. They had all sorts of other trees in the garden. They weren't to eat the fruit of that tree. But they disobeyed God's command. They disobeyed God's law. And of course, like them, we all have our reason for doing it. They had justifications. They could see the fruit was good to eat and certain serpent has suggested God actually didn't have their best interest in heart. We find exceptions for the rule too. I was recently listening to This American Life. It's a popular podcast if you know it. And they actually had an episode on the Ten Commandments, just exploring how hard people work to keep the Ten Commandments. One of the things they looked at was do not kill. So what do they do? They interview an army chaplain who not only himself struggles with how to obey this command but has to support other people who are in situations where they feel like they're breaking this command not to kill. Because of course the podcast point is there are times when you can't obey God's commands. That was the theme that was running through the podcast. And that's, that, that struggle with do not kill, that's before we even hear Jesus say that just to hate someone in your heart is actually to commit murder internally. We just have this sense that you can't really obey God's commands, but breaking God's commands is sin. But secondly, um, that points us to that sin is rebellion. Behind our struggle with individual commands is a basic attitude that we don't want God in charge. Uh, So we've got a Bible verse up on the screen. Uh, 1 John 3 verse 4 says, Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Now, saying lawlessness there, that's not about breaking particular rules. It's someone who is an outlaw. They live outside the law. So um, they ignore the sheriff. They defy the government. They want to live outside the law. Uh, Prince Leonard, have you ever heard of this guy? Uh, Prince Leonard, he's an Australian, well, not officially Australian. He's the self-proclaimed sovereign of the Hutt River province in Western Australia. So 49 years ago, uh, Leonard declared independence from the nation of Australia because he didn't want to pay tax. Um, Even in 1977, the tax office was pursuing him, so he declared war on Australia as a sovereign nation. didn't last that long, that conflict. Um, I think he realised he didn't have a, the army to back himself up. But um, yeah, here's a guy who does not want to submit to the laws of Australia, so he's a rebel. He's the, the classic illustration of what it means to be a sinner. It's not just about the individual sins. We are in rebellion against God. Sin is rebellion against the God who made and owns this world. And if you see sin that way, it sort of helps us understand why sinners will often look like good people. So you just think about World War II, the French resistance. These were people who were rebelling against the German-run government. But that doesn't mean that every time they hit a rule that the government had set in place, they would disobey it. In fact, I'm pretty sure that most French rebels most of the time looked like good law-abiding citizens. That's the best way to keep your cover so that no one discovers that you're actually running a resistance movement under the surface. 
It's possible to be a rebel and look like a law-abiding citizen. Because what matters is the relationship. It actually comes down to this third thing, this relational problem. Sin is relational. So um, finally, let's turn to Romans 6. We read it out and it's taken a while to get there. It's my key passage this morning. Um, Behind the rebellion is the relationship. Uh, Romans 6 describes this change that happens when we put our faith in Jesus. We were slaves to sin. So Satan was in charge of our lies. We followed his lies. That's how he rules us. But Jesus' death breaks that relationship. Look at verse 2. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Our our relationship with, with sin changes because Jesus died. Uh, Jesus died the death we deserved. He took the punishment that we deserved. And so we have this new allegiance, a new allegiance with God, a new allegiance with righteousness. Have a look at verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you've come to obey from the heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm going to Leave it for Josh next week to unpack the slaves of righteousness stuff and how that plays out. What I want us to notice today is how our relationship with sin changes because of Jesus. See, sin is relational. Motivation matters. Uh, Here's an illustration. Imagine a woman leaving a library and uh, she trips. She's holding a bag of books. She trips and three men rush to help her. Now, the first man is worried that she's hurt herself. That's the sum total of his relationship with that woman. The second man actually has seen this woman before and thinks she's fairly attractive. And so he's hoping that by running to help her, he might get a bit of an introduction. This might lead to something more. It's a different relationship. The third man, he loves books. (laughs) Maybe he works at the library or something. Uh, He's not so worried about the woman. He's worried she's damaged these books, but he rushes to help anyway. Three different people, same action, but the motivation actually matters, doesn't it? It changes the relationship. It reflects a different relationship. That's the deal with sin. What drives our sin is our relationship with God or the lack of it. We don't trust God. We don't trust his law, so we break it. We don't trust his rules, so that's why we're rebels. Fundamentally, we just don't trust him. Uh, This is the other verse I've got for us. Romans 14, verse 23. Uh, It's dealing with a different situation, but the final clause is really significant. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. If I'm not doing it because I trust Jesus, then I'm actually serving a different purpose. I'm following a different master. Uh, The classic illustration is the sailor who is a brilliant sailor, diligent as. It gets up early every morning, very, very carefully scrubs the decks, has it all spick and span by the time the captain comes out, ready for inspection. Every time he's given a command, carries it out to the letter. He is a fantastic sailor. It's just that when the flag goes up, you find it's got a skull and crossbones on it. And it turns out that he's serving on a pirate ship a pirate captain. He's a good sailor, but he's serving an evil end. That's 
sin. We can look so moral. We can do great and noble things. We can run charities and help others. But if it doesn't come from faith in God, then we're serving another master. We're working towards a different purpose. We're sinning. No matter how good the thing we do is, and I have some great friends and I really admire the lives they live. Uh, They're the sort of people I would rather be in society with. Uh, Don't get me wrong, I'm really thrilled that people do good. I have lots of people who do good things and I'm so grateful in our society. But it's not done out of trusting Jesus. Then there's still people who are sinners living in rebellion to God. So how does that make you feel? Often it makes me feel deceived. I feel like I've been tricked. Here I was thinking I'm a pretty good person, but maybe I'm reading the whole thing wrong. Uh, What I think might be good, God might see as evil. It's actually the experience of some people who, when they're checking out Jesus, they first come to investigate Jesus. Maybe it's you. You've come along to church and you've come along because you see a friend and they're Christian. They seem to have something that you don't. Uh, They've got this peace maybe or they've got a confidence about life. And so you've come here looking for something extra. What you didn't expect to find was what you lacked. You didn't expect to be told that you're not living wholly for God, that you're actually living in sin, or maybe it's better just to say you're living for sin. But I reckon it's not just people who are visiting and checking out Jesus that this speaks to. This is the experience that I think a lot of us who follow Jesus have. I mean, after all, Romans was written for people who trust Jesus. It's written for people who want to live righteous lives, but they've got to get where they look right. Because people are telling them that they should look to the law, that the law will give them a righteous life. They get these standards, these commands that they can live by. But Paul's saying, no, knowing what to do is not enough. There is this established relationship with sin you've got to deal with. This habit of obeying sin. And and that's how Christians get a bad reputation. We know what to do. We'll point ourselves to it. We'll point others to it. Um, we, We promote God's standard, but we fail to live it. Romans 6 shows why we fail. It's this habit we have. We used to be slaves to sin. So verse 6, it really emphasizes that We were slaves of sin, but Jesus ended that relationship. Have a look at verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with Jesus so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with and that we might no longer be slaves to sin. Anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Jesus is set free from sin, and so therefore I am. Except obedience is still my choice. Paul realises he's got to urge these Christians to choose not to sin. Look at verse 12. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer 
be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. Christians can still be deceived by sin. A classic example is from the days of emancipation. You know, the government of America, then the government of uh, England, they declare that slaves are free from their masters. But often that was the case. The slave would be walking down the street. Along come the other direction, we'd see his old master. The master would give him a command and the slave would just jump to obedience because that was the habit. And that's often our experience of sin. We are too easily deceived. We're tricked into the old habit of listening to sin. So how should we live? Uh, We need to live looking to Jesus. We need to remember that he has defeated sin, that our relationship with sin has ended, that 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 is done. Um, That's what Paul does. He looks at Jesus' death and knows that sin is defeated. Look at verse 5. We have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Have a look at verse uh, 11. Uh, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We need to feel sin's deception, and then we'll look to Jesus, because he makes a difference. So next week, Josh is going to really unpack that, of how we live for Jesus, what it means to be righteous. Um, But I just want to finish this morning. I asked this question at the start. Are Christians good? And I know that we're all sinners. But I think we want to be able to say a yes to that. Our relationship with sin has changed. I think we should keep encouraging each other and expect that sin will be different for the Christian. We do do things that are good. Uh, just uh, first thing to say is, look, if you live trusting Jesus, suddenly you can do things that please Jesus. You can do things that are righteous when you couldn't before. So even to give a glass of water to someone because of Jesus, right, is a righteous act. It's a good deed that God applauds. You can do good. I know some Christians are really pessimistic about our ability to... They walk around with this weight of the sense that they're just constantly sinning. No, you are now different relationship with sin if you trust Jesus. I want to say even more than that, though. I want to say that the statistics show Christians are different. I don't want to leave it in the really negative world. So I've just picked up a new book. It's called Confronting Christianity. Uh, The woman who wrote it it used to be a lesbian. She still experiences attraction to women, but she's now a follower of Jesus. And she did this research. She collected all this data that shows that actually Jesus makes a difference. So, for instance, two sociologists in America, they found that domestic violence was twice as high for men who didn't attend church compared to men who went to church once a week. Twice as high. Um... There were 43 other crimes that had a lower rate among religious people than they did among non-religious people. Jesus makes a difference. Uh, Regular attenders at church, they donate three and a half times more than non-religious people to charity. And they volunteer twice as much. These are broad statistics. There's lots of things that you could say, but I want to be able to say, Jesus makes a difference. He does set people free from sin. In fact, um, uh, there's this professor, Peter Offit. 
He's a professor of paediatrics and vaccinology at the University of Pennsylvania. Apparently, he set out to write a book, which he was going to call Bad Faith, How, Religion Ruined, sorry, How Religious Belief Undermines Modern Medicine. So he had all these examples in his own experience of how people who were religious, they ended up disobeying, uh, they ended up ruining medical practice. But in his research, he was checking out Jesus, he was reading up about Jesus, and he was moved by what Jesus says about kids. He realised that Jesus was actually radical for his time. Uh, that, that it, his quote is that Jesus is the single greatest breakthrough against child abuse in history. This is a guy who wasn't Christian, isn't Christian. And so he had to change the title of his book. Instead of how religious belief undermines modern medicine, it's now when it does. He recognises that sometimes religion does lead things astray, but he realises it's not fundamentally about religion. Because that's the thing. Yes, Christians are broken people. Sometimes we do stupid things because the habit of submitting to sin is there. But our relationship has changed. Jesus has ended our rebellion. So we've got to get our thinking right about sin so that we can feel the deception but then live looking to Jesus. Have it, I pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thanks for helping us to wrestle through this and sin and its relationship to us. Thank you that Jesus does change our relationship with sin. I pray that next week, even more, we'll be able to unpack and explore uh, the difference Jesus makes. But do help us to see sin for what it is, to see the reality of its work in our life, but to see that Jesus has defeated it. We pray in his name. Amen.